According to the church calendar, today is Transfiguration Sunday. The transfiguration of Christ marked a turning point in his ministry. Okay, it marked a turning point in his ministry. For years, he had been traveling throughout the region proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. But following the transfiguration, Jesus knowingly, intentionally begins a journey to Jerusalem, a journey to the cross. And so fittingly, the church remembers the transfiguration on the Sunday prior to the season of Lent, a season during which we learn to carry our own crosses. And so the season of Lent is, is thus bookended by two revelations of the glory of Christ. Immediately prior to Lent, we see him transfigured, and immediately following Lent, we see him resurrected. Now, theologian Kevin Van Hooser writes this about the transfiguration. He says, the transfiguration provides program notes, as it were, for understanding the whole narrative sweep of Scripture. That's quite a claim. He's saying that in some sense, all of Scripture is compacted into the event of the transfiguration. So as you might expect, the Gospel of Luke packs a lot of meaning into these nine verses. There are pregnant references to Old Testament stories that would take hours just to read. And so Luke is expecting a lot from his readers. Luke is assuming a lot about our knowledge of the scriptures. And in particular, he assumes that we are well acquainted with the stories of Moses and Elijah. So I'm going to give a brief review, beginning with Moses. Listen closely to each of these details because we'll loop back to them as we go. Moses was chosen by God to lead the people of Israel out of captivity through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And we call this the Exodus. The Israelites spent 40 years in the wilderness. And while in the wilderness, Moses met with God on a mountain. And it was on that mountain that God gave Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle, which was a tent that served as a makeshift temple. And above the tabernacle, there was a cloud representing and manifesting the presence of God. Now, an overview of Elijah's story. Much like Moses, Elijah also confronts an evil tyrant and then flees into the wilderness. And while in the wilderness for 40 days, Elijah comes to the very same mountain as Moses, and he too meets with God on that mountain. So in other words, the narrative is presenting Elijah as a new Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses actually teaches the people of Israel to anticipate a future prophet who will be like him. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. To him you shall listen. And so this, this verse refers first to Elijah, but of course, this also refers to Jesus. According to Hebrews chapter 3, which Laura just read for us, Jesus is the greater Moses. And even within our passage today, uh, verse 35, a voice speaks from heaven referring to Jesus, saying, Listen to him. To him you shall listen. 
that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. To him you shall listen. So to summarize that, here on the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples see Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Or in other words, the disciples see Moses, a new Moses, and the greater Moses. Moses, a new Moses, and the greater Moses. Verse 28. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up a mountain to pray. And as he is praying, his face is altered. It's transfigured. Again, this is just like Moses. It's very similar to Moses. Moses' face would shine after meeting with God. He actually had to wear a veil because of it. However, Moses' face did not shine from within, right? The people were not looking at the light of Moses. They were looking at the light of God in the face of Moses. And so Moses was like the moon. The light of God was reflected in his face. But Jesus is like the sun. The light is actually emanating from his face. So, so Jesus is not, he's not just meeting with God on a mountain like Moses and Elijah met with God on a mountain. Jesus is the God who met with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. And here they are again. Moses, a new Moses, and the greater Moses, who also happens to be God himself, taking counsel together on a mountain. Now, look again at verse 31. Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. The word for departure here is the Greek word for exodus. Moses, a new Moses, and the greater Moses talking about the coming exodus. This is not an accident. Luke is doing this on purpose. Here's the question, though. Exodus from what? From what are the people of God being delivered? And and where is Jesus going to lead them? You see, at, at this time, the nation of Israel was already dwelling in the land of promise. The Roman Empire was occupying that land. But strictly speaking, the people of Israel were not hoping for an exodus because they were all already where they wanted to be. So to what exodus is Luke referring? I believe he's referring to the crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, all of which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. The God of Israel has taken on flesh in order to lead the nation of Israel out of captivity into a new covenant, into a new world. So Jesus is the greater Moses, and that is where he's leading the people into a new covenant and a new world. Moses led God's people out of slavery to Pharaoh. Jesus leads God's people out of slavery to Satan's sin and death. The greater Moses has come to lead the greater Exodus. 
Verse 33. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. To him you shall listen. Now, the word translated as tent in verse 33 is another very important Greek word. Does anyone want to guess what it is? Tabernacle. It's referring to the tabernacle. Remember, Moses was chosen by God to lead the Exodus, and while in the wilderness, he met with God on a mountain, and God gave him the blueprints for the tabernacle, which was a makeshift temple. And then a cloud descended upon the tabernacle, representing and manifesting the presence of God. And so Jesus is preparing to accomplish an exodus, and Peter offers to build him a tabernacle. Verse 34, as Peter was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. Again, this is not an accident. Luke is doing this on purpose. Peter, James, and John have just witnessed something incredible. Glory is pouring out of Jesus' face. And he's standing on a mountain talking to a couple Old Testament VIPs who have been dead for centuries. That's incredible. And so Peter responds by offering to build three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. Now, this is not just a random idea. Peter's not talking about going camping. Peter is expressing his desire to celebrate what's called the Feast of Tabernacles. What is the Feast of Tabernacles? The Feast of Tabernacles was a Jewish festival associated with the Exodus that looked back to God's provision in the wilderness and forward to God's future deliverance. And so Peter is standing in the presence of Moses, a new Moses, and the greater Moses, suggesting a feast to look back upon God's past deliverance and forward to his future deliverance. Peter's impulse is exactly right. And yet we are told that Peter didn't know what he was saying. And and so what what did Peter not understand? Peter did not yet understand that the tabernacle was already right there in front of him. He didn't need to build a tabernacle. Jesus was the tabernacle. He was the dwelling place of God on the earth. The Gospel of John tells us this explicitly. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory. And so to, to fully understand what's happening here, I, I think we have to remember that the tabernacle was a makeshift temple. Eventually, once the nation of Israel had settled in the land that God had promised to them, they were to build a more permanent temple. No longer a tent, now a permanent temple. And so this is what I believe the Gospel of Luke is trying to show us. As Jesus sets his course for Jerusalem, for the cross, 
the time has come to transition from this makeshift tabernacle to a more permanent temple. Just like the book of Exodus, here in the Gospel of Luke, a cloud of glory descends upon the tabernacle that is Jesus. But, but the really incredible part is that Peter, James, and John enter into that cloud. Peter, James, and John enter into the cloud. Why is that significant? Well, because Jesus is going to be the chief cornerstone of this new temple. But Peter, James, and John are going to be the other three cornerstones of this new temple. The church is the temple of the Lord built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so the the makeshift tabernacle that is the flesh of Jesus will soon be replaced by the permanent temple That is Jesus along with his disciples, the church. Now, there's one more thing I want us to see before we conclude. Um, On the Mount of Transfiguration, the glory of Jesus is manifested as he holds counsel with Moses, Elijah, and three of his disciples. Now, the the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament, is often referred to as the Law and the Prophets. On several occasions, when Jesus wants to sum up the teaching of the Old Testament, he refers to the Law and the Prophets. And which two characters from the Old Testament could best sum up the Law and the Prophets? That's easy. Moses and Elijah. That's not all. Because Peter, James, and John were there too. And just as Moses and Elijah represent the Old Testament, Peter, James, and John represent the New Testament. Peter, James, and John are thus privileged to bear witness alongside Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, as the transfigured face of Jesus pours out glory. In other words, Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John representing the scriptures in their entirety, bear witness to the glory of Christ. This is something of what Kevin Van Hooser was getting at. The law and the prophets bear witness to the glory of Christ. The Old Testament and the New Testament bear witness to the glory of Christ. Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John all bear witness to the glory of Christ, quite literally on this mountain, but also in the scriptures. The scriptures from start to finish bear witness to the glory of Christ. And here's the deal. When we hold counsel, when we hold counsel with Moses and Elijah and Peter, James, and John, When we hold counsel with the scriptures, we get to see the transfigured face of Christ too. We get to see the glory of Christ too. The Bible actually says this about itself. Um, In in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter claims to have been an eyewitness to the glory of Christ. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, we ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's referring to the transfiguration. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter's doctrine of Scripture is rooted in the event of the transfiguration. We could also look at 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul uses the veil that Moses wore to cover his shining face as a metaphor for the Scriptures. We read the Bible through a veil until we learn to interpret the Bible through the lens of Christ, then the veil is lifted. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That's the same Greek word as transfigured. We are being transfigured into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Just like Moses we can be transfigured by looking into the face of Jesus. We can see his face in the Bible and we can be transfigured. The transfiguration event reveals a new way of reading the Bible. The ultimate aim of the Bible has been revealed to us in the shining face of Jesus. The Bible is the mountain we climb to meet with him face to face. The Bible is a medium through which Jesus transfigures us from one degree of glory to the next. If you wonder why our liturgy features multiple scripture readings, if you wonder why we encourage praying through the Psalms on a daily basis, if you wonder why we meet on Tuesday nights for study, it's because we believe the Bible is how we get transfigured. It's how we become more glorious as people. When human beings bear witness to something glorious, our faces are transfigured. We've all seen it. You you can see this in the face of a child on Christmas morning. You can see this on the face of a dad coming out of the delivery room. You can see this in the faces of people at a concert. And sometimes we can see this when someone has spent extended time in the scriptures. We can see this when someone has climbed the mountain in order to spend time with Jesus face to face. We can see this when someone comes into a deeper understanding of the, of the character and beauty and goodness and power and glory of Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would be a church full of shining faces, transfigured faces. Men, women, and children who shine because we have truly beheld the glory of Christ as revealed in the scriptures. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we hear this morning your voice born from heaven. This is my son, my chosen one. To him you shall listen. Jesus, we do want to hear from you. um, And we thank you that you continue to speak to us even today. But more than that, we we want to see your glorious face. And so please, please do honor us with that privilege. Holy Spirit, reveal the glory of Christ to us in the scriptures. Inspire in us greater devotion. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. And transfigure us as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.